0: Get 80% off your impression kit when you use code WONDERY at bite.com. That's Byte.com. That's B-Y-T-E dot Start your confidence journey today with Byte. From werewolves and monsters to the modern-day slasher, horror fiction has captivated people since ancient Greece. But so many of the genre's most famous and terrifying stories were created, written, or developed by women whose names you might not have ever learned. Until now. I'm Courtney Enlow, and this is a special, spooky edition of Sci-Fi Wire Fangirl's Forgotten Women of Genre, titled Forgotten Women of Horror. Every day for the week of Halloween, we'll tell you the stories of just some of the women who helped make the horror sphere what it is today. If there's one certainty in the entertainment business, it's that Hollywood loves a remake. While it may seem like a relatively new obsession, remaking and rebooting movies is one of the building blocks of the film industry going all the way back to the 1930s, when the talkies replaced and ushered out the silent film era. It was during that decade that some of the most influential horror movies were made, some of them remakes of their silent predecessors. Movies that they themselves would go on to see rebooted for modern audiences time and time again, and would lay the foundation and inspiration for countless movies and filmmakers for generations to come. One of cinema's earliest and most accomplished female screenwriters, Sonia Levine, was particularly known for her skill adapting plays and novels for the screen. An immigrant Russian-Jewish activist turned Hollywood screenwriter, Levine brought her unique perspective to the screen in her adaptations while never being stereotyped as a writer of only women's experiences. Levine is a legend in her own right, but her screenplay for the 1939 adaptation of The Hunchback of Notre Dame earned her an often-forgotten place in the horror canon. Sarah Sonia Opaskin was born in Panama, Munich, a shtetl in the Pale of Settlement in Russia, now Lithuania, on December 25th, 1888. In Imperial Russia, the Pale of Settlement was the only region in which permanent residency by Jews was generally allowed. She was the first daughter of Fanny and Julius Opaskin. Her father was exiled and sentenced to forced labor for his connections to radical politics when Opaskin was just a child her paternal grandfather, a rabbi, took the family in. It was this grandfather who encouraged Opuskin's love of language and reading, teaching her Hebrew, French, German, and Russian. In 1891, her father escaped Siberia to America with the help of a German man named Levine. He decided to take the surname with the rest of the family, who joined him in America four years later. Deeply impoverished, All five of the Levine children had to work to put themselves through school. Levine was unable to afford high school and instead took a stenography class to get work as a secretary. She also began to get more politically active, joining a socialist group and becoming involved with labor unions. While taking a class at the Educational Alliance, she met Rose Pastor, a socialist, feminist, and birth control activist who would go on to become a founding member of the Communist Party of America. Pester hired Levine as her secretary. Levine was also starting to write around this time, earning some income by selling comedic shorts to Life magazine. However, she endeavored to find a more quote-unquote practical means of supporting herself and enrolled at New York University Law School in 1906. Still, the writing life found her. She was hired as a secretary by Samuel Merwin, the editor of the business magazine Success. Eventually, she decided to remain with success rather than work in law. While she did pass the bar, her brief time in law convinced her to focus on her writing. When success shuttered in 1911, Levine moved on to the Woman's Journal and then to the Metropolitan, where she met Carl Hovey, her future husband. The Metropolitan sent Levine to London to cover the British suffragist movement, where she found herself in the middle of the Blitz she would remain in London for the duration of World War I. After the war, Levine returned to America and began to focus on fiction. During this period, she married Carl in 1917, maintaining an interfaith marriage. In 1919, the film Who Will Marry Me? was based on an original story by Levine, and in 1921, gave Levine an opportunity to help tell the story of an immigrant Jewish heroine in cheating love. That year also gave Levine her big break. Famous players Lasky, one of the major film companies of the silent era, bought two of her stories to adapt. They also offered Levine a contract, $24,000 the first year, with a $5,000 raise a year for the next five years. In today's money, That would be roughly $310,000, with an annual raise of roughly $65,000. Levine moved to Hollywood without her family and got three films under her belt before she decided to break her contract and move back to New York City. Despite her obvious success, she felt obligated to support Carl's career instead of her own and accepted an editorial position at McClure's Magazine. But when famous players Lasky decided they wanted to adapt Anzia Yazerska's novel, Salome of the Tenements, for the screen, Levine was the obvious choice. The novel centered around an immigrant Jewish heroine's ill-fated affair with a wealthy wasp, inspired by Yazerska's own life. The novel was also inspired by the life of Rose Pastor, Levine's former employer. And the parallels with Levine's own life were hard to resist, Levine agreed and she was soon back in the saddle. Initially refusing to leave New York, she began to work remotely for Samuel Goldwyn Pictures by seeing and recommending Broadway plays that she could adapt into films. Once Carl's career allowed for the opportunity, the couple decided to move to Hollywood, where Levine could pursue her career and Carl could take a job with C.B. DeMille. After DeMille, though, Carl couldn't find work, and Levine became the main breadwinner for her husband and two children. Luckily, her career took off. Alongside her steady work in film, she continued to contribute to magazines and occasionally write plays. She'd already worked with famous players Lasky and Samuel Goldwyn Pictures. When she moved back to Hollywood, she first worked for Metropolitan Pictures and Columbia Pictures before spending 10 years at Fox, ultimately earning $750 a week, about $11,000 in today's money, becoming one of Fox's highest paid and most prolific female screenwriters of the 1930s. By far, Levine was known for being able to deftly adapt stage plays and novels into films. She received an Oscar nomination for her work on State Fair, an adaptation of the Phil Strong novel, and adapted the novel Drums Along the Mohawk into a screenplay for John Foes. But in 1939, she stepped out briefly from both Fox and her usual Over, to write the screenplay for RKO's remake of The Hunchback of Notre Dame. Dame. (laughs) In the early 1930s, Universal had started to reconsider remaking their 1923 silent film, The Hunchback of Notre Dame. The original film had been a hit, grossing $3.5 million, about $50 million in today's money, and launching the career of star Lon Chaney into the stratosphere. But the rights to the property changed hands in 1935, ultimately landing at RKO Radio Pictures, who hired Levine to write a screenplay based on Notre Dame de Paris. While RKO began building an imitation medieval Paris on their movie Ranch, Levine saw modern parallels in Victor Hugo's novel. Upon moving to Hollywood, Levine had left a lot of her younger activism behind, or at the very least, kept quiet—her only acts of subversion being representing immigrant Jewish women on screen as heroines of their own stories. But it was 1936, and Levine was aware of what was happening to Jewish communities in Germany. She saw a clear parallel between the oppressed Romani in medieval France and her own people overseas at that very moment. While Levine's screenplay doesn't balk at capturing the ugliness and brutality of the novel, she does give a different ending. In contrast to the novel, where Esmeralda dies, Levine has Esmeralda not only survive and fall in love, but win freedom for her people. Looking at the hunchback of Notre Dame through that lens, it no longer stands out in Levine's filmography as the only horror film in her oeuvre. Rather, it's a piece with other hopeful futures she imagined for her heroines. After Drums Along the Mohawk, Levine left Fox for a contract with MGM, where she won her first and only Oscar for the screenplay of Interrupted Melody. By the end of her career, she had 73 credits to her name, leaving behind a legacy of successful and award-winning films. But her politics seemed to have changed over time. The Hollywood blacklist swept the entire industry over the late 40s and early 50s, seeking to target and blacklist anyone with connections to the Communist Party of the United States. Levine managed to stay out of the spotlight despite her association with Rose Pasteur and being one of the quote-unquote Russian Jews in Hollywood that America First Party leader Gerald L.K. Smith railed against in his speeches. But her daughter Tamara Hovey and her son-in-law Lee Gold, both screenwriters, were not so lucky and ended up targeted and blacklisted in 1953. Levine never made any public comments about her daughter and son-in-law's fate. Whatever she expressed to them in private, we don't know. But Hovie and Gould left the United States altogether and moved to Paris. Levine developed cancer in the mid-50s and died on March 19, 1960 at the age of 71. Her cinematic output remains legendary. But the fate of her daughter and son-in-law remind us that these legacies are always complicated. In her youth, she fought for herself and for her people. She rose to a level women weren't generally allowed to, all while existing within one terrible truth. The horrors of the world around us will always be far more so than anything we can ever see on screen. Forgotten Women of Horror is a production of Sci-Fi Wire Fangirls. This episode was written by Claire McBride, narrated by Courtney Enlow, and produced by Cher Martinetti. Follow us on Twitter and Instagram at Sci Fi Fangirls Pod and at Sci Fi Fangirls. You can find this and so much more at scififangirls.com. Be sure to subscribe to Forgotten Women of Genre wherever you get your podcasts.